Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. If this is your first time here, I'm, my name is Tim, the senior pastor here. Welcome, welcome. And if you're here vacationing in our beautiful beach, I have one word for you. You should move here. <laughs> welcome to my beach and you should move here. This is a great place. Hey, thank you to Jay and everybody. Last week I was getting over some eye surgery and uh, everything's going good. Actually, I thought everybody wore black and gray until I had this stuff going. Now I actually see how colorful all of you are. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, all this uh, so beautiful. And uh, next week is Mother's Day and we're going we're gonna to continue with this new series, but we're going to give a shout out and we're going to celebrate that as well. I uh, want to welcome the Riddies back and the Dormans. I don't know if they're in here today or not, but back on the, from the worldwide tour missions trip and good to have them back. And also before we pray this morning, I want to pray for Doug Crew. As you know, we're helping a fellow Vineyard Church out up in North Myrtle Beach who uh, is transitioning, uh, no pastor right now. So our team is filling in. So our, our preaching team has been up there for the last four months doing that three months. So Doug Crew is preaching up there in just a few minutes. So we want to pray for him as well. So can we do that right now? Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and the opportunity to be able to gather together on this beautiful day and to celebrate you and to sing songs about what we believe about you and who you are. And we ask for your time, for your blessing today and the time that Doug has up at Renovation Vineyard this morning that you would that you would speak through him, encourage that church. Uh, I pray for a sense of peace on Doug right now, but just settle on him and that your word would flow through him. He'd be a great encouragement there. And Lord, for us today, thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you so much. And Lord, we ask for your presence to come, to be here with us, to teach us. Help me in my weakness, Lord. Give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes, Lord, that uh, we can learn something Something maybe a little more, uh, Lord, more of the beauty of who you are. More of the depth of your love for us and for this world that you created. And Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this series is going to be called CORE. C-O-R-E, as you saw on the trailer uh, I guess that was a little trailer movie just then. And each one of these letters are going to be a part of what I think are very important to us as a church and as believers. And, uh, you know, I, I called Derek, uh, our resident MMA fighter, this week and asked him about the core. You know, I, was, I said, what, how important is the core? And he was like, well, it's everything because it's the platform upon which all the power in your life and all that you, that's where it comes from. And uh, we used to have, I don't know if they're still around, but we used to have a division in surfing. It was a retail outlet called MCD, which was more core division. (laughs) 
And so when we say in surfing, like your core, it means like, man, you're really, you know, you're in it like that. You're stuck right in the middle. You've got it. It's a part of your life. And, and so in working through these four letters, we're going to take a look at some of the, the things that I believe, beliefs that I believe are essential to us as being an authentic Christian or an authentic uh, Christian church even. Well, back years, years ago when I first started having some back problems from all these years of being in the water and running and, and all of that, uh, my doctor, uh, this is 25 years ago, said, if you want to help your back, work on your core. And I was like, wait a minute, that's on the other side. You know, what, how about something for this right here, you know? And, uh, and he says, no, because this is what supports that. And so if you want to strengthen this part, if you want to have less, then start working on this. And uh, as you all know, it's so much fun to work on this. Isn't it? I mean, it, the burn is real, right? The burn is real. And, and also, they say you can't overwork this. I'm like, what the heck? I think like three times like that, yeah, I'm overworked it. It's like, uh, you know. But you just, you know, you keep pushing. So the core, you know, the core is the centerpiece. Um, and it, it, it shores up everything that we believe. If the core of our lives, and this is spiritual as well as physical and mental and emotionally, if the core of our life is not sunken and is not correct, and then everything around us is subject to weakness and subject to us being maybe pushed in different directions. And so uh, I think it's with the proliferation of so many people yelling so many opinions today on so many social media, you know, sites and such. It's very difficult to, to get a clear word about what really is essential. What is important for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus? Or maybe we're checking it out and we're like, I don't know the difference in you guys and someone else. Well, this is going to be a great time for you to spend with us to look at this. And so, uh, you know, I have a family member who was a Secret Service agent for decades and retired. And, and I asked him and years ago, and some of you have heard this before, but I asked him, I said, how do you, because they're the ones that find the counter, counterfeit dollars and all this. And I said, uh, how do you recognize? And he said, a, a fake one, a counterfeit. He said, we look at the real enough. We touch it. We feel it. We look at it enough until something that's fake or counterfeit becomes very obvious. It's not that, you know, I love comparative religion studies. But you don't find out about Jesus looking at comparative religions. I mean, that's good. I'm all, I think you should inform yourself. But if you want to find out about Jesus, you look at Jesus. You go to the Gospels and you read and you look and you go to the source and you find out. You look at the real. So that when the posers show up, you go, bingo. Poser. I'm not, you know, nope, backing out of that one. And I think in this day and time, it's always been important, but I think in this day and time, because we do get so much thrown at us that we just don't know anymore. We, we don't know what's real. What, what is necessary? What do we really need to have at our core in order to be walking with Christ, walking with Jesus, or this thing we call faith in God? So you've got to fill in on the backside of your handout. And... Uh, and we're going to take a look at a few things. You know, the core, I've got three things here. The core, once we get that into our lives, it keeps us, your first one there is steady. 
steady. Because from that place, you can, you know, you may be pushed this way and that way, but the core is going to keep this axis of balance for you. As you walk through life, as you're inundated with information and opinion and all, that core is going to keep that axis like a gyroscope just right there with you all the way through it. And so it keeps us steady. The core keeps us strong. I mean, there are times when, let's face it, in life, things, things don't go the, the way we want them to. Right? I mean, there's a part of us that might atrophy. You know, there's part of our lives that suddenly gets weak. But if the core is where it should be, in that place of weakness, it'll keep us strong and carry us through those times until we get on the other side of it. And then we're standing strong again. But we all know those times come, don't they? And we're going to be, get battered at times. And, and there are going to be times when things, part of our life seems to go weak. And, and if the core, if there's something in the center of our lives and of our belief and faith, then it will keep us strong through that. And it will keep us faithful. That's your third fill in there. It will keep us faithful because with so many opinions. I mean, you know, I've... You guys know I read a lot and I read a lot of, you know, I listen to podcasts and I read articles. This week, I read two posts by two people, leaders in the church, people that teach lots of pastors and all, two opinions that were diametrically opposed. Both of them had recommendations for pastors of how to be healthy and they were, they were the opposite. And I was like, wait a minute, this one says this, and this one says that. Both of them very successful, and, and great people love Jesus, but they had contrasting opinions. And so what's a guy to do? What's he supposed to do? I go back to the main and the plane. I go back to the core of it and say, this is what's important right here. This is it. And so keeping me faithful instead of being pulled off. I mean, when I first became a Christian, it, it, we didn't have any of this social media and I was still confused. I was, wanted to yell to all the Christian leaders in the world, can't you guys get it together? I mean, do you know how confusing this is to a new believer? I mean, all these different denominations, all these different things. All, I mean, can somebody help me, please? Can you guys have a meeting and kind of coalesce? And just coalesce into like one? And, you know, I've understood more in the past few decades about that. But, uh, but you It'll keep us faithful. It'll keep us steady. It'll keep us strong if we have some of the primary issues there in the center of our lives. And so I'm praying that over the next four weeks that God will help us in that and he'll teach us through his word. We're going to be over in 1 John, the first chapter. Uh, one eye John, as I heard it called years ago. Um, there's one eye John, two eye John, and three eye John. That's right over there in the back of your Bible or on your uh, app. You can look it up. And uh, let's read this and then I'll kind of set up the background for this. And uh, we'll work through the rest of these fill-ins. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
We write this to make our joy complete. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Breathe life on it, Lord. In Jesus' name. In your handout, there's a, a banner statement there. It says, what we believe about Jesus Christ is the absolute centerpiece of an authentic Christianity and an authentic Christian church. So in core, the first letter, C, is Christ. Is Christ. And here's something that, you know, in this book, in 1 John, John was having a problem here in his church. Uh, it's, it's quite a, a very interesting thing to study what went on with this exchange with uh, what we probably would call Gnostics or Docetism. There's a, there's, there was this group of people in the church who didn't believe Jesus really came in the flesh. It was a mystical experience that Jesus came spiritually, but he didn't come in the flesh. Now, you know, Christianity is, is super unique. It's unique because we're the only faith that believes that God has come down to earth in flesh. In flesh, veiled in flesh and lived this life, was crucified and then resurrected. We're the only one that believes that God's done that. Right? And Jesus Christ, his son, has come. And in this church, there was a group who was going, the flesh doesn't matter. It's about spirit. It's all about the spirit. Jesus came as a spirit. That's why John up front talks about what we've seen. Like we have seen him. We have touched him. We have felt his presence. We've been with him. And this is the core of our faith in Christ. This is very important. This is your, the second fill in there. And that is that Jesus has come in the flesh. Jesus has come in the flesh. The word incarnation. Incarnate. In the flesh. Is what that means. That Jesus has come literally in this. This. Came to earth. I mean I still. That is an amazing thing for me. Just to meditate on daily. Is. I look, at, I look at my hands, uh, you know, I look at and I go, God Almighty who has existed forever humbled himself to come to earth in this. And you know, once he got in this, he never got out of it. He took it with him. It was a glorified body, but once he entered earth, once he entered mankind as flesh and blood, he remains it now at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, it's a little different form. It's the glorified form, kind of a picture of what we're going to be like. But it's still, they touched him. Remember, Thomas, put your, put your finger in my side. Jesus cooking breakfast on the beach post-resurrection. A ghost doesn't do that, you know. They just kind of go, just kind of leap by with it. There he goes, Jesus the ghost, you know, just floating by. You know, instead, Jesus goes, hey, it's me. You know, he walks through a wall, Interesting. To a door, locked doors, but he says, hey, it's me. Touch me. See, touch. It's me. Give me something to eat. I can eat. This is super important. And at the core of everything we believe, because again, it says, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched. John is telling this church, listen, this is not some like mystical trip here. This was real life for us. Jesus actually lived and breathed and lived among us. And, and we touched, we walked with him. And 1 John 4, uh, 2 through 3 says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So if you don't believe Jesus has come in the flesh, you are not a Christian. You're not. Dear friend, you're not. Because this, everything hinges on this. The incarnation is the most beautiful, powerful thing God has ever done for us. To come himself to earth in Christ. To live this life. To give his life for us. It's an amazing thing. You're not, we're not a Christian church if we fail to believe this. If we suddenly think that's not popular and we go a different direction, we cease to exist as a Christian church. This is powerful. And John says that Jesus has come in the flesh. And John 1, in the Gospel of John, as you read those first 14, 15, 16 verses, you see the same theme being reiterated over and over and over again that God has come to earth. The Word of God. He existed with God for all time, right? All time. The life here in 1 John. For all time, yet He came to earth. He came and He dwelled, it says in John 1. Dwelled meaning tabernacle. That He set up His tent. He set up His abode right here with us on earth and lived with us. God Almighty coming in the flesh. This is at the core of everything that we believe as Christians. Now you may say, well, yeah, I've never seen Jesus. Yeah, I haven't either. But I'll tell you what, I have experienced him. I have experienced him. This past week was my spiritual birthday. That was 48 years ago at that surfing contest. 48 years ago on Tuesday. That... Uh, Friends shared Jesus with me and it just changed the whole trajectory of my life. Going this way towards engineering, taking over my dad's business, contracting, building hotels up and down the beach and all that. All of a sudden, I don't really care about that anymore. I just want to follow Jesus, you know, and let's see where it heads. And uh, boy, it's been an adventure, you know, and uh, still is. But so you say, well, okay, Tim, what does that mean? It's like one of the pastors who um, mentored me and actually ordained me, laid hands on me, was preaching in New Jersey years ago. And he had a guy that every time he would say something, the guy would go, so what? <laughs> in the preaching. And, and uh, my pastor friend, he was just like, man, it just got on my nerves. You know, every time I would make a statement, so what? <laughs> Well, he's just being honest. He's like, what difference does it make? You know, you're spewing off all this stuff, but what difference does it make to me? I mean, it's not going to, it doesn't make any difference. Well, this makes a difference. Jesus, having come in the flesh, has amazing implications in our lives. Now, don't misunderstand this either, that Jesus is fully God. Son of God. He existed for all time's sake. But he clothed himself in flesh when he came and he was born to Mary. And once he entered earth this way. He clothed himself with what we have. And forever it will be with him. Which I am grateful for that. That's the power of God and the humility of God. The power of God in that moment to be able to do what he did. Is, is just crazy. So what? Okay, here's, here, it has implications for you, and this is your next villain. It has implications for the way we look at work. The way we approach work in this world. Because Jesus came to this earth as a human being. 
He worked probably with his dad. He probably did some carpentry. We know he did something. He worked probably with Joseph in carpentry. We know he walked the roads. We know he was in a fishing boat quite a few times, right? Probably helped out. We know he directed them. Peter, you, you caught any fish? No, we'll try it on the other side. You know, and they caught all this fish. We know that he lived this life. He actually lived it. He sweated. He, like, worked. He knows what it's like to have to get along with someone on this earth. How to get something done with others and teamwork. He knows all of that. And Jesus said that wherever he was, the kingdom of God was coming. And that is the rule and the reign of God. So every time we see Jesus doing something, we see the rule and the reign of God. Or God's will being manifested on the earth the way that God always intended for it to be. And so it has deep implication for us in work. You know, back early 300 AD 400 all in this period of time or even a little bit after that it was like they separated it and this was going on in 1 John 2 with these people that were challenging his leadership and and the doctrine that you know that there's the spiritual and then there's the secular how many of you have heard that how many of us have said that like you know there is a secular job and there is a spiritual job Oh, that spiritual job is so much more important to God than my secular job. Well, Jesus came, came as flesh and blood, walked this place, worked, sweated, did all of this. And for, you know, he gave us the example that, hey, you know what? There is no secular and spiritual. There is just this. It's spiritual. Everything is spiritual. The rule and the reign of God, when it comes, affects every part of our lives. How we do our work, how we value our work, uh, how we deal with people on the job, how we, all of this has to do with the kingdom of God coming. Um, any activity, I, I wrote down should be sacred, but I'm going to say it is sacred. Your sex life is sacred. It's sacred to God. The way you do your work is sacred to God. It's a part of what He does and how He works through you and how He shows Himself to the community and as a part of His rule and His reign. What does it look like when God comes to earth in our work and our art? And what we do, I mean, celebrating all these years of when Christ was shared with me, I didn't need a preacher, I needed a surfer. I needed a surfer who would tell me about Jesus. That surfing was holy work. It's still holy work. It's holy work if it's God has given it to you and it's passionate. And you do it unto the Lord and you do it the best you can. I mean, what, what goes on on the job? You treat people certain ways, right? You're faithful with your work. What is it about the kingdom of God? Faithfulness. Doing a good job. Being able to say, you know what? When the kingdom comes, things get done. When Jesus came, things got done. Look how he treated people. So on the job, you get an opportunity to, to engage with people and to see the kingdom come in the way that we respond to people. I heard uh, this week someone say that, uh, this is accredited to Martin Luther, that God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbors do. <laughs> And so, as the kingdom comes, 
you know, as we realize we are a part of that kingdom that it wasn't Jesus just a spirit floating up there, but it was Jesus come in the flesh to this earth to accomplish a mission and do a job. And that anything that we touch in our lives, any work we do is sacred work. You say, well, gosh, you know, all I do is I stay home with my kids all day long. Man, having been with my grandsons yesterday and granddaughter, I can tell you that's sacred work. (laughs) That is sacred work because what do you get to do? You get to pour into their lives. You get to show them the love of God. You get to be Christ on the earth right here, right now to them. You were like, well, I'm just a student. I'm already coastal, you know, and I hate this class. <laughs> you know, but there are other students around you. There's a prof. There's a campus just to watch you. It's not like, oh, I have to be a preacher on campus. No, be who you are. If you love this course that you're taking in this class, man, love it and do it to the best so that people can ask you questions and be a picture of what the kingdom would be like when it comes in fullness. Do what you do with all of your heart and with all of your passion. There is no such thing as secular and spiritual or sacred. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. Now, how we treat it and how we steward it can reflect how much we really believe that. But look, there's no separating this. See, this particular period in the church, it was like suddenly the sacred, like you had to be a priest or you had to be this in order to be really spiritual and to really be thought well of by God. And so people that were not, that were doing their regular jobs and taking care of their regular families, they weren't as elevated as the priest. And of course, Religion, when it gets power like that, sometimes can take advantage of it. And it did for hundreds of years. That's not what we see in Jesus. That's why you go back to the Gospels again and again and again. And you read them. The more you see Jesus, the more you see Jesus, the more authentic he becomes. And then suddenly you can recognize the bogus. You can recognize the poser part of it. And so it has large implications for our work. Knowing that Jesus came in the flesh... One of the funniest stories, when I was a contractor, uh, I got this, these 50 apartments to, to renovate. And um, this person that I was dealing with, this lady, when I went in to interview her to see if I could get this job, and she found out that I was a Christian. I don't know who told her, but somebody you know, told her. And, uh, and she flat out said, and I wrote it down years ago. I want to read this. I can't read all of it because, well, I guess everybody's over 21. But... Um, <laughs> It's, it's like, you know, she said, I don't want any Bible thumping, holy roller telling me I'm messed up. I want a contractor that will get the job done. Well, the funny thing is, after about six months, she did become a Christian. <laughs> but I never, I never, understand this. I was just... As perfectly in the will of God as a contractor. As I am right now. Perfectly. That was sacred work. And you know, I'm going to go so far to say this. Even if this wonderful person had never during that period of time come to know Jesus. If I did that job well. And if I reflected what the kingdom looks like when Jesus comes. It was a success. You hear that? Some of you who struggle with 
I don't know how to do this, Tim. I can't be that spiritual. How about you be yourself and you do it the way Jesus would do it on the job and you let him take care of it? How about that? Because he brings people back around to you again and again. I've seen it all through my life. People, 40 years later, people suddenly show up. It's like you giving up, you know. I, man, why are you here? I hadn't prayed for you in a year and a half, you know. And, and, and it's like God's like, yeah, but I love them, Tim. I mean, I didn't give up on them because you gave up. I love them. I love them. And he brings them back around again and again. Your work is sacred. Where you are. Do you, how many of you love what you do? I mean, you love what you do. it with all your heart. It's the Lord in you that does that. It's the Lord that gives you the creativity. You love Jesus and he gave you a passion in your heart. Do it unto him. Do it unto him so that the people can look and say, man, if the whole world was ruled the way this person does life, it would be a beautiful place. And that's what the kingdom is going to be like when it comes in fullness. Because Jesus came in the flesh, we have a picture. God knows what it's like to sweat, to work, to work with people that aren't easy to get along with, Judas. Uh, you know, people like that. Peter, maybe deny you. I'm your best friend, you know, and then... He knows all that on the job. He knows all that because of the incarnation. We serve on our jobs. You know, that's, I mean, think right now of, of just one gesture or one action that you do regularly at your work or school or job that reflects God's love for his creation. Just think of one that every day you get the opportunity to do. You see it? Does it make you smile? Like, man, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. That's right. Secondly, it has implications, or be there, implications for relationships. Because Jesus came in the flesh, he knows what it's like. Like, like I just mentioned, he knows what it's like to deal with difficult people and still love them. He knows what it's like to have someone very close to you for three, three and a half years who finally bails on you in the most important moment of your life. And yet forgive them and even restore them. It has, a lot of times we think, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. But because of the incarnation, because Christ came, Fully man, fully God. Yes, he does. He absolutely knows the pain. He knows the loneliness of the garden. He knows that night with that meal before he was taken, before he was arrested. He knows what that feels like to sing with those who in just a few minutes are going to turn their back on you. He knows. So that has implications for us because we have a God who does feel and does know what it's like and yet taught us a new way to deal with one another. How to forgive, how to restore, how to let go, let go of things. Man, I've been listening to a, a group by the Avett Brothers all week, this song, No Hard Feelings. Any of you guys listen to that song? I don't promo music a lot up here, but if you want to hear a great song, the Avett Brothers... No hard feelings. That is a great song. And listen to that song. Jesus taught us a way to be able to hurt. To be able to feel the loss. And at the same time come through it. 
because he came to earth and he experienced the same things. It's a new model for how to deal with one another. And see, I mean, that felt, you know, that's implications for struggles, for our struggles. That's your third fill in there is because Jesus went through those times, we're not alone in them. We're not distant. God is not distant from us. Because of the garden experience of going, you know what, Lord, I don't want to go through this. But if this is the only way this gets done, then okay, let's do it. You know, I'll do it. But Lord, if there's any way to let this cup, this experience, drinking the cup of wrath, if there's any way I can bypass this, I would really like to do it. But your will be done. Your will be done. And so in our struggles, in our times of loss, in our times of doubt, to know we have a Savior who walked through that, who experienced it, but walked through it. Yes, he suffered. Yes, he hurt and he wept and he cried and he asked for another way to walk through this. He didn't and he walked through it victorious on the other side of it. So we can hold on to him. We have a Savior who knows what we feel in those times because of the incarnation. And it has implications for the church. This is your last one. Implications for the church. Notice in 1 John 1, 3, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, you can get mad at me. It's okay. People have been mad at me before. Um, you can't be an all. You can be saved. I'll grant you that. But you cannot be an authentic Christian and bail out on the church. Can't do it. All these epistles, New Testament written in here, all written to churches. All written to churches. As wrong as we get it sometimes in the local church, and we do get it wrong sometimes. We really do. We do. It's still the Lord's way of manifesting himself on the face of this earth today. I mean, that's the example. You know, the Holy Spirit kind of comes in the gathering here. It's the Holy Spirit's here in a different way when we're together than it is when we're by ourselves. Have you noticed that? I mean, it, it's true. We're, we're much better together than we are alone. And, and we actually see a, a better picture, a bigger picture, and a more holistic picture of who God is and Jesus is together than we do alone. And I know all of you are super objective about yourselves. I tell my wife that I am. That I'm so left-brained that... Uh, I see everybody exactly the way they are, especially myself, which shows you're definitely deceived. <laughs> and uh, the church is meant to be made up of a group of people that God embodies in the Spirit. In a very special way. And because Jesus stayed with that group, even after the resurrection, through it all, as he's hammering out, in the flesh, what it means to have fellowship and to stick it out. And then 40 days on the other side of resurrection, 500 people. That's a pretty good sized church. He meets with 500 people all through that period of time to show that he had been raised from the dead. I mean, and then what? He sends the 120 or so up to their room, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then the church is birthed. And that's what we see. We cannot 
distance ourselves from the church. It, this has implications for the church, the fact that Jesus has come in the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul said, Now you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Do you see that? Yeah, you're a part. I'm a part. All of us are a part, but we're the body together. This is not the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. I'm a part of it, but I'm not it. We're it together. Every person to be a part of authentic, which is a popular word right now. A part of authentic Christianity is to be a part of of an expression of his gathering of those people who love him and are committed to him. And I am, I honestly am so sorry for everyone who has been hurt through church. We're, my wife and I have been hurt through church. We all have. But it's worth it. Every bit of it is worth it. Because we have a much more holistic view of who Christ is when we're together. And we do alone and apart. Read you a quote here. This comes out of a great little book called uh, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. It's a great little textbook uh, that a course that a seminary course I took. And one of the things the guy said is, you know, when we read scripture, do you realize that Jesus might have had a couple of teeth missing? We read it with Western eyes and we see this, I don't know, caricature of this perfect individual, you know, made in our image, of course. But Jesus of the first century, man, there was no dental care. There was none of that. You know, he might have been missing. What are you going to say to Jesus when you see him that day and he's got his front two teeth missing? And he goes, hey, I've been waiting on you for a long time. You know, I mean, <laughs> what are you going to say, you know? We always want to package him, don't we? I mean, into something, you know? Listen to this. So why go to church? Why worship with a group? Because in some way we may not fully understand the spirit indwells the group in a way the spirit does not indwell the individual. We are all built together to become one whole building. A single dwelling for his spirit. Like it or not, we need each other. As Rodney Reeves noted... This is powerful. I cannot worship God by myself. Jesus loves his church. Jesus was a part of a fellowship. He brought his fellowship together even after his crucifixion and his resurrection. And he sent his church out into the world to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to love the brokenhearted, and to serve so that people own their jobs. In their homes, out in the water, on the beach, wherever you are, can see a picture of his kingdom coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Jesus, thank you that you came, you lived, you breathed, you suffered, you laughed. You ate great meals with friends and foes alike. You walked dusty roads. You looked around a table and a very important meal. And you saw some that you loved dearly. And who said they would never forsake you. Never leave you. And yet Lord that very night they would. And you still love them. You suffered through the garden. You cried out to your father. But yet you stayed the course. You went to the cross. 
He looked at your enemies, fully human, fully God. And you said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Gave us an example and then you empowered us with your very own spirit, Lord, to come and live this life in such a way that people can see the kingdom has come to earth in you. Maybe this morning while we're praying here, this this kind of broken into your heart and you're like, wow, Jesus came as a human being. He does know. He does know how I, the things I go through. And you've realized that God coming to earth, fully human, fully God, and dying for you has now become a reality that you know now that he has come. What a great day to say yes to God. And so while we're praying, I, I, I want to ask, is there... Is that you this morning? Would you say yes? I want to say yes to Jesus today. Yes to Christ. Would you lift your hand and let me see so I can pray for you this morning? Thank you, Lord. I'm Holy Spirit. I'm Jesus. Now for all of us that our jobs, whether we're retired or we're students or whatever profession we have even if we are unemployed at the moment we are still around people we're still out there would you allow the Holy Spirit to point out to you one act one act of God maybe some kindness or something you can do today or tomorrow when you go back to work that would reflect the goodness of God. Can you think? And when you think of what that is, can you raise your hand so I'll know that you've, yeah, thank you. Let the Lord point that out. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, you see our lives. You put us in contact with people every day. May we be the salt and the light in our community, Lord. May people see that your house is open. The doors are open to welcome mats out. City on a hill filled with light and hope love and healing, Lord. Let's stand, guys. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.